Hi everyone, welcome to Token Theater. Friends, thank you for being here and for bracing the cold. I'm Jose, and today I'm joined by two playwrights. Uh, first up, we have Zora Howard, who's making her playwriting debut with two at page 73. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. And the extraordinary Jordani Cooper, whose Ain't No Mo was one of the highlights of last year. And I wish we can see it again, like very, very, very soon. <laughs> I hope so. Thank you. I Thank you for, so. for being here, Jordan. I, I wanted to start by talking to both of you about your paths into becoming playwrights. Because both of you share that you're also performers, you're also actors. So can you talk about how you went, which one came first, I guess, is the, the main uh, question. Um, I can't remember a time when I wasn't doing both. Um, so I started performing and writing from a very young age. And because I was writing, I was also performing what I had written. Um, and that took me to the space of poetry. I was writing a lot of poetry and I was performing a lot of poetry. And eventually, because I was also in the theater, you know, a, a poem to be performed, one person saying these words, eventually there were other people. So I was writing for now two people are speaking and now there's three people speaking and eventually that became a play. So that was kind of the natural progression into playwriting for me, but it was born from performing words that were meant to be spoken aloud. Mm. Same for me. Uh, I really uh, didn't grow up in a family of anybody that was in the performing arts or anything arts related. Uh, they were all sports people. Uh, my little gay ass was in the living room putting on plays. Um, and I would just, I didn't even know that it was a thing. I didn't know that plays or, or theater performing was a thing. I just, I just would like come up with a story and then I'd be like, all right, it's seven o'clock, I'm telling this story. And everybody would just sit down and watch me tell the story and play all these different characters. Um, and then that just grew. Uh, into being able to finally write it down on paper and then stories just continue to just grow and characters continue to grow. Yeah. I love that. I, I wonder what was the first instance, maybe if there was one that you can pinpoint to where you went, hey, maybe I want to have a career in this. Like, I want to be able to do what this person on stage or on TV or, you know, in the movies are doing. Oh, that's a good question. I think... Um, so I, I'm from Harlem, I grew up in Harlem, and ow, I, that never happens anymore because people are like, Hamilton Heights, what's Harlem? Um, and there was a theater company that was based there that many of the performers were black. Um, and it was a classical company as well, so they were doing, amongst other things, they were doing a lot of classics. So my first experience of Shakespeare, of anybody, Chekhov, was black people saying those words. So I was like, well, yeah, we could do it because we do it. I didn't even have the thought because I didn't, that was my introduction. I didn't see anything else before that. So I never was, I never felt like I couldn't also do that. And then these were brilliant uh, black performers as well. I mean, I met, I, I grew up performing with Rosalind Ruff. Uh, and, you know, that was my first, that was the first Lady M I ever saw was Rosalind Ruff. And I was like, ooh, I'm trying to be that. <laughs> One day I want to be Rosalind Ruff, but also Lady M. And I feel like I can because I saw her do it first. I forgot what your question is. <laughs> Don't precisely that, but you okay. know, when you first knew that you wanted to do it, you'd yes. seen someone else do it. Yeah, so that's when I knew. I mean, I feel like I always knew, but that's when it was confirmed for me that it was possible and I could. I love it. How about you, Jordan? 
Um, I think mine was, I grew up in uh, Hearst, Texas, so there wasn't really a lot of theater surrounding me or, you know, or my family didn't know about any theater that would be happening in my Dallas or Fort Worth. So uh, my theater came from the DVDs and the VHSs that we got from the barbershop. And uh, I was first introduced to, um, it was like 1999, and I guess Tyler Perry had did one of his plays on VHS. And um, I just remember I was in the living room watching SpongeBob SquarePants and getting ready for my next play tonight. And I could just hear my parents in the back room like screaming. And I was like, what are they screaming? I was a nosy ass kid. I was like, what are they screaming? I thought my daddy was beating my mama because I just watched What's Up Got to Do With It. I was like, oh, I got a story to tell you oh, dear. But um, oh, dear. I, was like, I was like, let me see what they're doing. So I went back there and they were just cracking up at whatever was on television. I'm looking, I turned, and it was Tyler Perry as Medea on stage. And I just remember being mesmerized. And I was like, what is this? I was like, this is the thing that I like to do, you know, at night, but they have sets, they have costumes, they have an audience, they have this, they have that. And I think for me, ever since then, it was just like, oh, I can do this. And then I started uh, mowing lawns to like rent out theaters and uh, my mom asked the pastor at the church if I could put on my plays after church on Sundays. I'll start doing that. Um, and I just started telling my own stories uh, in a way because for some reason it was like seeing, seeing Tyler Perry do this thing was like, oh, I've never seen that before. You know what I mean? And I, I feel like a lot of our generation, for especially for young black kids, it's like that was their first exposure to theater because it was like they weren't surrounded by theater. They were surrounded by the chitlin circuit. You know what I mean? And so it was like, oh, we took the chitlin circuit and we just kind of made it our own. I, 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 I love that you brought that up because I, I also wonder, you know, once you knew that you were going to be in, you know, you're going to be writers and you're going to be in the arts, is there also an element that makes you want to write stories for, you know, for, for black people, for instance, because I don't need to tell anyone how white theater is, right? And how the stories of people of color are not usually told or, you know, they're not put on stage or they're not put on TV. And I wonder if there was an element of, I want to also write to tell the stories that I that I know and to tell to give opportunities also to actors of color to be in something. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, if you ask a lot of people, I feel like in the theater community, there is no such thing as white theater, right? It's just theater, but there is such thing as black theater, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I think I think for me, I was just interested in uh, in seeing black bodies on stage, especially black women. I love writing for black women. Because I feel like when, whenever you put a black woman on stage, there's just so, there's just so much magic. There's just so much um, heightened uh, royalty um, that gets added to the language. And I feel like a lot of that came from whenever I sit down to write, the first voice that I always hear is a black woman. And I feel like that's because I was raised around a lot of strong black women who, who um, held in their pain and held in their thoughts and held in their emotions. Um, because they were too busy taking care of everybody else. And so I've always been interested in what would it sound like if they were allowed to say what they wanted to say, or if they had the, the space to say what they wanted to say. Um, and I just feel like whenever, I, like really, I don't think about white folks when I write. I just, I just don't, they just don't come in my mind. And it's like, that's probably why, well, I feel like, I feel like a lot of like black work that I've seen lately, it's like there's black work that you can tell is made for black people, and then there's black work that you can tell is black, but it's for white people. Mm. Because it's like, the difference to me is 
black work by black people doesn't address white people. It doesn't speak to the audience as white. Like I think about, um, not to be shady, but I think <laughs> about uh, uh, something like Queen and Slip, right? I think about Queen and Slip, which is a beautiful film. But I think about how the ending of that film is nobody's seen it. I, don't know. I haven't seen it. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, but the ending of that film is something that I, I just feel like is not for us um, because some of us are gonna walk out of your show, some of us are gonna walk out of your film and have that happen to us. Mm. So why not for two hours give us something that lets us escape that, and if we're not gonna escape it, challenge it. Mm. Um, and challenge it with victory. Um, and I think that's the difference between making work for, for, for a white audiences and making work for black audiences. I literally, whenever I had a reading of Ain't No Mo, I literally had a, a, a playwright friend of mine tell me, you know, um, it's just so black. And they were black. And they were like, I feel like you should, you know, if you want this produced, you should like, you know, give white people a bone. Like give them something to, you know, hold on to because there's so many, you know, colloquialisms. Literally a review of the show was like, uh, so many colloquialisms that went so by so fast that it took away from the show. And I was just like, no, why, why, why can't I have that space? Why, why do I have to write for um, a certain type of audience instead of just the people who I live around and who are me? Yeah. Mm. Mm. I, I, you know, I haven't seen your play yet, but I've, I've read the script, but I saw your play and I read the script also. And something that I, that I noticed when I was reading the way which both of you write is that, you know, you can tell it's you. You have this... It's, very, it's a very singular way of writing and there's a melody in both your work that I find like extremely, extremely beautiful. And how was it to fine tune that? You know, what was the process of finding that, finding what your specific voice is like on the page? I think you have to, for me, it's been inviting other people into the process, you know, talking about the, the workshop process, talking about just gathering friends and having people read it aloud, because again, these were words written intended to be heard, to be spoken. Um, so yeah, I speak them, I speak to myself when I write, so I'm saying a word and saying a dialogue back and forth. And in my mind, the characters sound like this, but you know, I want to create work that expands beyond what I can imagine in just my mind alone and that's why the theater process is so that's why I love it is because when you now it's something way way bigger than you could have ever imagined because it's this mind and this heart and this spirit and all you know in this stew see what I did there <laughs> um, together so Stu, you know, with Page 73 Productions, it had a number of, of workshops, and each time, there's a central character, her name is Mama, go figure, speaking about black woman. Mm -hmm. You should come see my show, because I'm black wait. woman. I'm ready. <laughs> um, yeah, and that each mama was so, each mama, the mama we have now that is, which is Portia, who is bringing these performances to life, and each mama in every workshop was so different all black women, but so different based on where they came from, what, how old they were, what their upbringing was, what their family structure was like. And that, you know, that just opened up something for me because I can only really speak from what I know. So inviting other people and what they know um, was revelatory. Mm -hmm. So that's the fine tuning is accepting that it has to be beyond you. Mm -hmm. You know, if it's theater, you know, what's the other way? I don't know. Right, right. No. Absolutely. Um, 
She just said everything. Next question. Yeah, I want to talk to both of you then about something that you also share, and it's the fact that you've also, you know, performed your own, your own, in your case, in premature, mm -hmm. which is absolutely beautiful. When does it open again? February twenty first. We dropped the trailer yesterday. Congratulations! Thanks. Premature opened, uh, premiered at Sundance last year, and it's making its commercial uh, premiere in February. And you co-wrote the screenplay for that, and you're also in it. And Jordan, you are so fucking fantastic in Ain't No Mole. <laughs> and, and I wonder for, for the two of you, like, how do you, do you have to wear two different hats? Like, if you're the, the actor in this case, and you're like, hey, but I, but I wrote this. Like, who gets, you know, who gets to be the, the, the lead, I guess? Are you more gentle with yourselves as actors than you are as writers are you do you let your collaborators say like hey maybe let's get rid of this word how's that you know this sharing of hats like for me i think one of the blessings about being a performer as well as a playwright is like i whenever i'm writing whether i'm in it or not um, there's something about making sure that it can go through my instrument first before giving it to somebody else's mm. instrument. Mm. Um, so whenever mm. I write a monologue, I'll be in the shower reciting that monologue for two weeks before I know if it's right, mm. right? Um, but when it came to Ain't No More specifically, it was so interesting. Um, one, because I, 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 workshopped, I had workshopped it with other actors being peaches. I never, I never stepped in the role. Um, and I never planned to step in the role, um, which is kind of a story of its own because I feel like when I first moved to New York, um, before really, you know, accepting my sexuality, I had a lot of uh, internalized homophobia that I hadn't really worked out. Um, and I'd never written a queer character before. Um, I remember Stevie, uh, my friend who's the director as well, um, we were working on another play of mine, and, um, you know, we were just talking about boys, and we were like, hey. <laughs> He was like, why don't you uh, ever write a queer character? Why don't you ever write a gay character? I was like, mm, I don't want to write no gay character. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and he was like, well, I'm sure when you do, it's going to be something special. Um, and Peaches happened because in my mind, Enomo is about being free. Enomo is about like being the most unapologetically black and the most unapologetically queer I can be. And I think that those two things kind of became that character. Um, and uh, I was scared of her, and I, I wrote her, and even writing her was tough for me. Um, and so I was glad to pass it off to somebody else. Um, and I had this very specific actor in mind. I was like, oh, he's gonna kill it. He's gonna, he's gonna, <laughs> he's gonna tear that shit up. And we had a, uh, we had a workshop reading, and um, we had to go out of town for the, for the reading. And we had hired him and everything. And uh, 24 hours before the performance, we decided to let him go. Um, and now it's like, well, what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? And Steve is looking at me like, and so like literally, we stayed up till four o'clock in the morning, uh, just like going over peaches and me walking up and down the hotel hallway uh, in heels, um, and all the all the women in the show like gave me all their like accents and all their dresses and stuff like that, just so I could fill it out. And uh, I was like, oh, I don't know about this, I don't know about this. But when I got on stage and it was time to do that reading, it felt like putting on a glove. Mm -hmm. It was like I was just possessed by this magical being. Um, and it just felt so right. And a friend of mine was like, um, you know, I, I really don't think your ego knew you wrote peaches for yourself, but your spirit did. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Mm. 
I mean, that's that. Um, I've not actually performed any of my, any character that I've written um, other than Ayana in Premature. And I think, you know, distinguishing between who, who I am as a writer and who I am as a performer and, and trying to honor both of those parts of myself and also um, recognize that they do call on different parts. Um, they are in conversation, but they do call on different parts. I think it's all about bringing people into the process that you trust. Because, you know, Premature was difficult. Ayana, and I knew, because I wrote her. You know, I co-wrote it <laughs> with um, the filmmaker Rashad Ernesto Green, and I knew everything that 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 I was going, that whoever was performing that role, which I knew I was going to be doing, would have to do, you know, what kind of work that would take. And even then, when I got to, you know, that day on set, I was like, who, what the, who the, <laughs> All right. and Rashad was like, but you wrote it, you knew he was going to be doing this, that, and the third. But I was like, this is not a good idea. But because I had, you know, that director, um, Rashad and then the entire team, and this is the same thing with Stu and Colette Robert, who's directing that, that you, that my writer self could trust the other people that were in that process with me to respect, preserve, and honor the words, and honor the vision, and honor the work. So that I could give myself over to performance, because there's no way that, you know, I mean, I could have made an attempt, but to do that and still be thinking about, well, I don't, because mm -mm, that's not what I intended, and that line right there, and mm -mm, I don't like the way they shoot in that, you have to trust, mm -hmm. you know, and that's a difficult thing as a human being, um, and a diff difficult thing as a, a generative artist, um, but I think that's always, you know, and I always want to bring those people, and once you find them, you're like, and him, and her, and her, and them, and them, and them, I want them again and again, because I think it is so hard to identify those people um, and, and really, lean into that trust. So that has been the work for me in, in kind of those, those different parts of myself is recognizing and just admitting and accepting that I can't do it on my own. Mm. Right, right. And piggybacking off of that, like there were, there were really times, like I identify with that, there were really times where I would be in a rehearsal room and I would be cussing myself out as a writer. I'd be like, who the fuck wrote this? <laughs> like this is torture, this is genuinely torture. And there were moments where, like you said, I just I just had to trust. I just had to let it go over to Stevie, to the stage managers, mm -hmm. to the other actors, to the designers, to just trust that, you know what, I believe that they're gonna make the vision come true. Mm -hmm. But it can be still be frustrating at times, you know what I mean? Like we'd be in tech and like I would be doing a scene and uh, uh, we'd be like sitting out, I'd sit out, and he'd be like, Stevie would be like, oh, Jordan, come sit next to me just for a little bit, just for a little bit. He'd be working on this thing for like three days. And then I was sitting, I would watch the scene because I've been backstage. I was sitting, I watch the scene, I'd be like, uh-uh. Uh-uh, this is why the fuck I need you out here. You know what I mean? But it's like, it's like that's the that's the the jump rope of um, kind of being in your work as well as, as pretending and, and kind of telling your work. Um, but it's a beautiful jump rope. It's so beautiful. Once you hit that, like there was even the beauty in like being being backstage eight times a week and hearing other actors say the dialogue over and over mm. again because I would hear new shit and I'd be like, oh man, I need to fix this shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Whereas most playwrights they leave after a certain amount of time, you know what I mean? Um, so that's a blessing in itself. Can you can you think of a specific moment that you want to share with us when you were like, holy shit, like something that I wrote is there. And it exists now, and it's tangible. Did you have you had that moment? Uh, can you and can you talk about it? 
I, I mean, I certainly came with Premature um, and with Stu. Um, but with Premature, it was the last day of shooting um, on set, and that was actually the only, we had a 18-day shoot, and that was the only day that I wasn't in front of the camera. Um, because there was a, there's a scene where Ayana is not, you know, she's not there. Um, and I got to sit behind the monitor and see these other actors that had been along with me in a different capacity in the process do their work. And, you know, it was a moment that was, there was no dialogue. It was just written, and I'm seeing my co-star do this work, and I'm seeing, like, all these people running around and, you know, doing all this production stuff. And I was just, it was also the last day, but I was just sobbing because I couldn't, I was like, this is, everybody, this is something that, you know, we wrote. They just started off as an idea and a thought and a dream. And now look at all these people who are gathered <laughs> here, you know, to make this happen. And I was, you know, I couldn't, after that, they had one little scene to get uh, from me after that, but I was a mess. I was like, oh, do it, but Yeah, and it just, you know, that feeling. Um, and then with Stu, you know, we have an incredible team and an incredible cast. And because I'm a performer, I know what, we are asking of them. It is a heavy lift, you know, and that they commit and then it's theater is different from film. They gotta do it again tomorrow mm -hmm. and probably tomorrow afternoon and then the evening again and they, each time they come and they want to give their all, mm -hmm. you know, they say to me that they want to honor this story and that, you know, wildest dream come true to, to have other people who you didn't know before this process who said, I, you had a vision and I feel that vision and I feel that vision. I see it and I, I want to be a part of it and do it justice is, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think, I think I'm, I'm a bad processor. <laughs> I don't really process things until after they happen. Um, so, but it takes very specific moments in order for me to actually sit with the thing and be like, oh, damn, that happened. And in most kids, there was this, um, there was a couple moments. There was, there was a, uh, while we were doing the show, there's this group of high school students, group of high school black girls who were also playwrights. And they came to see the show. And uh, one of them was like 15 years old. And she came up to me and um, she was just crying. And she was like, you know, that prison scene really helped me understand my aunt and really helped me understand how much was taken from her while she was in prison mm -hmm. and why I have so little of her when she came out. Mm -hmm. And she just like cried and cried and cried and I just like held her for like a minute. And it was just, in that moment, I was just like, ah, this is, this is, this is why. Mm -hmm. This is why this is here and this is why um, so many people are a part of it and so many people love it. Um, and it took moments like that to help me understand, as well as like there was a dude who had just got out of prison, never seen a play before in his life, but lived in Brooklyn. And he came and he saw it and he was like, like the hood is like, the hood, like you know what I mean? But he was like, uh, he was like, yo, like that was some real shit, man. He was like, I felt like that was for me. I felt like it was speaking to me. He was like, I want to go back and tell all my niggas in the hood to come see this shit. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that, like, somebody who lives in Brooklyn, in New York City, and has never seen a play before in his life. Mm -hmm. I was just so humbled and honored um, that, that that's, that's the worth of an award. That's the worth of an award. Um, that, is the, that is the award, that's the reward of doing the work. I wonder, since you brought that up, what's like the biggest element of dissonance that you've encountered so far in your career as artist? You know, where you went into 
into wanting to do this, right? And what's something maybe that you wish people would have warned you about before you <laughs> before you well, who took go this? first? You go. It's on your spirit. Go ahead. Um, you know, you say that, and something immediately comes to mind, and and the the thing that makes you nervous is that you know. For each lesson you learn, there will be more. And because there will be more, you know there will be more pain and let down and hurt. Um, but hopefully the next time you'll be better prepared because of what you learn. But uh, when, I, when I first got out of graduate school, I was working for a theater company and um, they were also planning to produce my work. And this is a black theater company. And you know, I felt I was so excited. It was this was going to be my off-Broadway premiere, and I, you know, telling everybody about it, and people were so encouraging. And I also had a history with this theater company, so I was like, I feel like full circle coming back. And now I'm here as a artist and as a playwright, and this is going to be. And I got hella burned. Um, and I think the offense was so much greater because they were black people. And, and people who had known me and knew my family and knew where I was from. Um, but, you know, as they say, not all skin folk are kin folk. Uh, and that was a hard, hard lesson. Um, but it also just reinforced some things in me. I think you, you, know, you get in those situations and then you learn something about the artist and the person that you want to be. Um, that's the greatest takeaway is that I don't ever want to be a part of a situation um, where, where I'm making someone else feel that way or have that experience, you know? And when it comes to young people of color, young artists of color, and I have any kind of control I want, or, you know, influence, I want to, I want to do this. You know, mm. I want to, this is a podcast, so y'all didn't see that. But what I want to <laughs> do is bring them into me, you know? I want to cover, I want to lift up, I want to make space for and, you know, take care of because a lot of people ain't doing that in this industry and this world as we know, right? So if you, you know, if I have any strength in me at all to nurture and, and make a way and pull up beside me and then push forward beyond me, you know, with artists of color and people of color, that's what I'm trying to do. Um, because my God, when, when that happened, I, you, oh, and to be here today, you know, I didn't think, I was like, well, there it goes, you know, you know, my reputation is going to be, they're going to talk bad about me. No one's ever going to produce my play ever again. I just, I, and I got to such a dark place um, and I wouldn't talk about it for a long time. And then I realized that in talking about it and sharing my story, you know, like you said, with what, what happened with your play and those young women, when you talk about it and you share it and you put it out there, you have no idea mm -hmm. how it's going to resonate and vibrate with somebody else. And that's what happened. People were like, girl, let me tell you. Oh, my God, all these artists were like, let me tell you my story, my story, my story, you know, and that, and that kind of reverberation is, that's energy, you know, and that can propel something forward. So, you know, the biggest things out of that is who, who, who do I want to represent myself as? Because people are going to do what they're going to do. So who do I want to be when I come into a process, into a room? And then how do I want to make space for others? Who do I want to be and how do I want to make space? Yeah. Yeah, that's a word. Um, yeah, I, I, um, some things can just be shady and some things can just be dark mm. amongst the light. Um, and I similarly, um, 
I remember when I first came to New York and I was writing plays and I would, I would send uh, things to certain black organizations and certain black theaters and crickets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but the moment it got produced by a white, theater organization. It was like, oh, mm. brother, <laughs> what do you mean? Right? Like, Since I've been there a whole damn time, what's the time about? <laughs> um, and there was only one, there was only one theater company that, that, uh, that black theater company that really, really supported my work um, before the public did, and that was the Fire This Time Festival. Mm-hmm. And they did, uh, when Ain't No More was a 10-minute play, they, they did it as a part of their short play festival. Um, and then picking up that scene that I wrote as a 10-minute play gave me the inspiration to, okay, I can keep going. You know what I mean? Because it was like, it was like I wrote this thing. It's kind of crazy. I don't know if anybody gets it. If anybody's going to want it. You know what I mean? I just know I needed to write it. Um, and then being like, ooh, this is something. <laughs> made me be like, okay, okay, let me go back in. You know what I mean? Um, so those, things like that is, is, are appreciated. I'll never forget that. Uh, but also, like, just as 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 you grow in the industry, um, everything that glitters ain't gold, mm-hmm. including people mm-hmm. who you thought glittered from the time you were a kid. Mm. Um, you find out they're they're not gold. Mm-hmm. They're not gold. Hmm. That's kind of heartbreaking, but it's good to 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 talk about it, I guess. Yes. Yeah. And you know, something that I want to know about mostly out of for my own personal curiosity maybe I can borrow some some tips from you what does a day of writing look like for you do you have any rituals like do you sit you know early in the morning do you write uh whenever you get a chance or are you like you know as a writer for instance I always say that the best time to rearrange your cabinet is when you have a deadline mm-hmm. right Child. <laughs> My house has never been so clean. Okay, I will. I, I will do everything and a half to avoid writing. Finally, I met somebody who has the same. Yeah. Listen, I have watched every episode of Divorce Court, every episode of Wendy Williams, The View, Good Morning America. Pick up a whole new skill. Listen, doing every single thing. I play Family Feud on my phone like like it owes me money. I. I, I, and you know what it is? I feel like when you have something big in your heart and in your spirit, mm-hmm. it takes a second to come out. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think a part of it is your spirit is ready, but the shell isn't willing yet mm-hmm. because the shell knows that it's going to take work. And sometimes what it is, is like, I'm, I would say it's like lifting furniture, right? It's like lifting furniture. It's like, it's like when you go to pick up, a piece of furniture that's too heavy, you're like, nah, I'm gonna get that next week. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's like when you finally take that deep breath and you go and you pick up that couch, there's a whole new space in your living area that was never there before. Mm. Okay, metaphor. <laughs> um, and I think uh, a lot of times that, that I would say the, the best things that are, are, are meant to come out, the devil will try his best to block. Mm. You know what I mean? And, um, I think it's up to us to just push through that because when you push through it, like it's so, it's so fulfilling. You know what I mean? It's so fulfilling because you tell a story that you didn't think you were able to tell. Like so many times I feel like I get assignments, I get like stories in my spirit and it's like, that's too big for me. You know what I mean? That I don't, I don't, I don't know how something so little can make this thing. Um, Every time I look at a blank page, I feel like I've never written anything before. 
Um, it's like I'm back at the beginning and this is my first thing. Yeah. Deadlines. <laughs> I work well in all areas of my life under pressure yes. with a deadline. Yeah. Um, but you don't always have one. And the thing is that you still got to create. So, you know, how do you make one for yourself? Or how do you find a way to be accountable to someone or something? And that's when I call on you know, the tribe to say, I need you to hold me accountable to this. I said I was going to do this. That means I got to get you pages by this date. They might not be in the industry at all, but they're like, hello, I was supposed to see something in my inbox by 7 a.m. Um, but having to create those things for myself because, yes, I will sit. Mm-hmm. I will find a show. I will do it again. I will put on some music and have a whole dance party in my room. Deadline save you. Sure. I think like I've heard you uh, speak before about how you have so many projects that you've started but haven't finished and on your desktop. And for the two of you, how do you know then when something is done? You know, if we're gonna back, go back to like this two metaphor, how do you know when this two is perfect? I don't think you do. I think you know. I um, I believe in the in the in the old saying of plays plays are never finished they're just abandoned um because it's like you have to know when to let go and you have to know when to believe in yourself which is something that i'm going through right now you know what i mean it's like i i have a play that i've written that's been on my desktop and i had a reading of it a couple weeks ago and everybody's like oh my god like this is so good this is so good but i'm over here like I just don't, and I, uh, mainly that's out of fear. A lot of that is out of fear, especially when it's something so personal and when it's something that you feel like you've poured a lot into. Um, when it comes to like plays like that I've abandoned that probably have like seven to 14 pages, um, a lot of that comes from um, them not being ready or me not being ready for them. Or sometimes they morph themselves into something else. Like I've had like I had this idea for this play, and then this idea for this play, and I start both of them, and then I wait. That's this play. You know what I mean? It's like they both work together to do this one thing. Um, and usually it's just it's just a spirit thing. It's like you go with you go with your gut. You go with with what feels right. What feels urgent. I think that's that's the most important thing for me. It's like, what do I need in this moment? Uh, what healing do I need? What laughter do I need? Uh, what joy do I need in this moment? And that's what I put all my energy into. Absolutely. I definitely think that the, the play or the project will let you know if it's time or not. You know, and you can't, you can make an attempt to force it. Um, but if, you, if it's not coming out or if there's something in the way, that means you probably got to go in a different direction and get back to it um, and be okay with that. I've, I, when I first got out of school um, and playwriting was, play, say I'm a playwright that was new to me because um, I went to school for acting, um, I, was, I took the deadline thing a little too far. I was like, ooh, there's a deadline. Let me write a play. I uh, can't go that way. <laughs> I've learned now so that you, you know, you try to find that, you know, small, still voice inside of you that says it's time and then follow that, you know, and then see what happens from there, you know, what, what, it, what it might become. Right. Mm. But then it's also, I feel like it's a lot of it is, is playing the fool. Like sometimes I feel like I have to remember to play the fool in the sense of like, there's a certain point where you get stuff produced where you start to put too much weight on what you're writing. 
you start to be like, oh, this person's gonna see it and that person's gonna see it. Da, 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 da. But when I was a fool, I was just writing whatever I wanted to write. You know what I mean? <laughs> Ain't no more, it was just me being a fool. You know what I mean? Right. And I think about like, like my childhood, right? Like I think about um, when I was in high school, I started working with uh, uh, DBA Productions in Fort Worth, Texas, and Jubilee Theater in Fort Worth, Texas. And I think back to them and my, my mind space in that moment because the thing about, the thing about, um, being back in that time was like, it was just, if there was an idea and you had time, you did it. You just did it. You know what I mean? There was no, there was no, oh, it might be just saying I was like, no, you just, you just go with the spirit and you just do it. And sometimes I have to reach back and, and hold on to that and be like, you know what? I don't give a damn what people say. Just mm. do the thing. Mm-hmm. Just do the thing. But then you've been working on, you know, this babies, so to speak, for, for a very long time, and then they come out, and then the critics write about them. And I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what your relationship uh, to criticism is, and what, you, what would you change about the current landscape of criticism as artists? And I'm a critic, and I can take it. Wow. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> you start. Oh, <laughs> uh, um, I think that it's sometimes it can be hard, I'm not saying it's impossible, <laughs> sometimes it can be hard to write or critique something that has nothing to do with you. Mm. Um, and I think sometimes whenever there's certain pieces of work, specifically written by people of color, and then a lot of older white critics go to see it, and they write about it, they don't really understand it, but yet they think they do. You know what I mean? And, and, and like I think about that that uh, that critique uh, of Ain't No More, where the critic was like, you know, there was too many colloquialisms. I'm like, what does that mean? Like, what what does that mean? Um, I, I I think back to like something like Fiddler on the Roof. Imagine if Fiddler on the Roof from the very first production was never critiqued by anyone that was Jewish. Mm-hmm. Imagine how it would be interpreted. Um, and I think it would be um, important to the work for the dialogue. And not saying every critic who, who critiques a piece of work has to be that thing. But I'm saying that it would be, I, I would have loved if just one black critic <laughs> just, one. Came, just one. Just if one. If there'll be one, please come. Uh, just one would have uh, seen the work and had something to say about it. Um, but that's, that's few and far between in this business, I feel like. Um, but I love, I love reading reviews. I love, you know what I mean? I may not always agree with them, but there's something about the art form that I think is, 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 is important about what we do. Because I think about shows like Shuffle Along, right? The original Shuffle Along in 1921. And I think about how the only, the only memories that we have of that piece, the only knowledge that we have of it are the reviews. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's all, because we don't film theater. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's like that's that's what's left of the work, and sometimes that can be a very sad thing um, when I see something that's really good and the, and the reviews are bad. And I'm like, this is what history is gonna remember. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm not to that point in the process of stew just yet, <laughs> um, but I, you know, my approach thus far has been to, and I don't think this is the right approach. But with premature, I didn't read anything. I just asked people to give me a thumbs up, a sideways <laughs> thumbs, or a thumbs down. That's all I wanted to know. And it helped me because that was a crazy time. There was a lot going on. I had a lot of different 
things moving in my mind. And I think that would have been one added layer that I, it just wasn't going to help me do what I needed to do in that particular process. A stew is different. Um, I think the big thing, and this is the work outside of critics, is just knowing that when you give it to the world, you're giving it away. Mm -hmm. And it's having a life beyond you, which you cannot control. That is hard. <laughs> oh my God, with Premature, it was so hard. Like somebody has bought this film, they actually own it. I wrote it, sure, but they don't care. You know, they care, but they're not, you know, this is something else now. And then it's gonna be several years and it'll be something else too, then too, you know? And that's the work, is to remind myself of that so that when, you know, the critics say what they say, it's like, yes, you have every right to because it is, it is in the world. That being said, we do need more critics of color. We do need more queer critics. We need a lot in that space as well because it is, ooh. <laughs> Ooh. I don't even know, you know, as a as a consumer of theater, I don't even know where I want to go and, and who I what voice I want to trust because I don't feel represented in that space. Mm. So just because, you know, so and so says, eh, not a critic's pick or eh, too many colloquialisms, you know, I, do I trust that? Mm. So I feel like, you know, in many ways, like I, I you know, I, I've always known that I wanted to be a critic since I was very, very, very little. And to me, the art that I love the most, I feel also acts like criticism. You know, a no mo, it's criticism to a country that does not deal with racism and that has not dealt with anything in any way, right? Mm -hmm. And it's too, in many ways, when I was reading it, I felt it was criticism to the freaking patriarchy. You know, like who, after reading Stu, I, I went, who needs men? <laughs> um, and and can, you, can, you, can you talk a little bit about that, then, about how you approach, if you approach your art as a way to exercise that, as a way to try to improve society, and as a way to just try to create a better world? Um, yeah, I think, um, I think that for me, whenever I write, it usually comes out of necessity. Like it usually comes out of uh, me needing something, needing to ask questions usually. Um, and Ain't No Mo, specifically, like I started writing that in summer of 2016 when Philando Castillo and Alton Sterling got murdered with a week each other. And then the Dallas thing happened and, and I just found myself in a um, depression. And I'm the type of person who likes to laugh at funerals, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, why is she still wearing a bra and she's going six feet under? Like, Jesus is okay with open titties, okay? Um, and I just needed something to laugh about. And so I was like, you know what? What would happen if we just all picked up and we just went to Africa? We just, like, left. It was like, peace the fuck out, America. And uh, it just made me laugh. And I, and I just kept going and going and going. And then I started crying and I started laughing through the tears. And, and it just became a therapy for me in a lot of ways. Um, as well as the play that I'm working on now, it's like, it's one of those plays where I just, I just, I remember I was uh, riding at Stevie's apartment um, and I just started busting out crying. <laughs> like, busting out crying. And he just came over and consoled me and it was like, it was like, I knew I needed this thing. Um, like, I always tell people, it's like, I'm not Jesus with two fish and five loaves of bread. You know, I want to eat too, you know? I, 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 every time there's a performance or there's a viewing of my work, it's like the table just gets bigger and bigger and bigger with hungry people. Um, 
and I think, uh, yeah, I, I do hope to, to leave this place a little bit cleaner and better than, than what I found it, just a little bit. Um, I hope when I die that I'm empty of ideas, and mm. empty of stories. Um, yeah. I'm hungry too, though. I want to eat. Yeah, I think my, my, to be completely honest, a lot of it started from a place of selfishness. Mm. Um, what I needed for myself, uh, you know, how I was processing what was happening to and around me. Um, but then there was also this other thing happening where I felt the need to share it. And then it was really from how people were responding that was very inspiring to continue to share. And it's that thing that I was talking about earlier that we were both talking about, about you know, how your work reverberates um, and what it can do for others. So I think you know, completely being, being honest and, and, and acknowledging that a lot of my writing comes from what I need, you know, how I move forward what the next step I need to take, so I'm all right, I'm just keeping it 100. Um, my hope is that it'll be a contribution, you know, that is born out of the place and reflect, reflects what, who, what, what I want, what I, what I see it as, you know, and I think I can, I see it all as a little bit better than it is, you know, um, how we're living, how we're treating each other, I see it all as a little better than it is. Um, and I think too, because I need this kind of like radical thought of sometimes imagining a reality that is beyond uh, what it currently is, you know, in order to just, just make it through, just to imagine something that is 180 degrees from where we are right now. Um, I, and I have to write it down because it doesn't exist. Mm. Again, that is a selfish thing, but you know, Sometimes, you know, what, what other people need that they, you know, it, it's born out of very selfish places. It's born out of, like, survival. It's born out of those kind of impulses, um, which I've learned, you know, and the more and more I, I just give it away, let it go, share it. I learned that lesson over and over again. So, yeah. So, continuing in this period of sharing, then, besides your own work, who are some artists out there right now that inspire you and that you're like, I am so glad to be alive while this person's around? Hmm, so many, so, so many. Um, I'm in a spirit right now, every morning I've been playing LaKaylee 47. I know we're talking about theater, but she's a rapper from Brooklyn. And just, oh my gosh, you know, um, I, I love music and, and music. There's a lot of music. I realized this the other day, there's a lot of music in everything I write. Like everything got music. It's not a musical, but it got music. And um, just her, you know, I'm from New York. I'm very much from New York. And her just, just this kind of like ruthless, feminine, strong ass black woman energy that she has. Um, it's, uh, it like it makes me shake and shiver, you know what I'm saying? Um, and that's I think that's the thing that I'm looking for in, in all of the artists that inspire me, all the voices that inspire me is that thing that makes you just go, you know. Um, and she has that. And then of course there are a million writers. I'm gonna I'm gonna think some while you <laughs> toss that ball. Um, no, yeah, there's so many um, so many peers of mine who just you know they just challenge me by by the way that they do their work. Um, uh, Daniela being one of them, who's over there. Um, 
um, but also uh, Jeremy Harris. Um, I just I just love his boldness. I, I truly love his boldness, um, and I love what he's doing um, to kind of change the way we see theater as far as accessibility. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. uh, I love Lloyd Webb. Uh, I don't know if you saw uh, her play last season, um, but it was just just amazing. I felt checked leaving that theater. <laughs> um, uh, Larry Powell, uh, Katori Hall, Dominique Morso. Mm-hmm. Um, let's just go. Oh, there's just so many. There's just so many um, that that whenever I sit down and I'm like going to see their work and it's just, it, I just know I'm going to be blown away. I know I'm going to be challenged. Um, like in some, some, some playwrights who I admire, like, like, I can sit in their in their show and not like the show, but still be still be like still be shooken, mm. be shooken, and it's like it's like me not necessarily agreeing with what I see on stage doesn't mean that they didn't do their job. You know what I mean? It means that I I was genuinely um, challenged in a way that I think theater is supposed to challenge, um, and I think that challenges me to you know do the work even more and do the work even harder. I love it. So as we wrap up, would you like to remind our audience here and our listeners at home uh, about everything you have going on for you next? Yes. Uh, so uh, I exactly produced uh, a short film by uh, Terrence Day that's going to be at Sundance Film Festival this year. Um, yeah. Uh, as well as uh, I uh, created a television show for Hulu called The Miss Pat Show. Uh, which is kind of my version of a Norman Lear sitcom. Uh, it's basically if Archie Bunker was a black woman, that's basically what <laughs> um, It's a lot of fun. We shoot it in front of a live audience. Uh, Debbie Allen directed the pilot, which was amazing. Wow. Uh, yeah, it was, it was really good. It's so, it's so special. I'm excited for you guys to see it. Uh, as well as I'm working on my uh, next play, Sweet Chariot. Um, yeah, we're writing film and, you know, just push it on. Push it on. I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pushing on. Um, so Stu is currently, it's up. It's, you can see it at Walker Space. It runs through February 22nd. Directed by Colette Robert. Page 73 Productions is producing. Uh, and a killer, killer cast. Um, and then also Premature, which is the film that I co-wrote with Rashad Ernesto Green, uh, is opening in theaters February 21st. Um, so you'll be able to see it at IFC in New York. Um, it'll be in LA and a lot of other cities as well. So. Yes, just making it and putting it out, letting it go, putting it into the world. <laughs> well, I'm very glad to be alive while you guys are making it work. So thank you for, for joining us. And Zora Howard and Jordan Cooper, I wish you the best of, of everything. Thank, thank you. Thank, thank you for thank spaces you. like this. Thank you for creating spaces like this and doing the work that you do because you are just as integral to, to the theater community as we are. So thank you so much. Okay, now I blush. So Aww. thank you. <laughs> thank, you. <laughs> thank you, everyone. Thank you.